Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Good morning. As you return to your seats, uh, I'll be reading from Jeremiah chapter 39. That's uh, page 793 in the Pew Bible. It's a story of judgment and grace. This took place around 586 B.C. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Nergal Sarezer of Samgar, Nebu Sarsikam, the Rab Saras, Nergal Sarsikam, the Rab Mag, with all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden, through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Rebla, in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Rebla before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted him and the people who remained. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owed nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look after him well, and do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsaris, Nergur, yeah, Nergal Sarezer, the Rabmag, and all the chief officers of the king of Babylon sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the guard. They entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he lived among the people. Thank you, Greg. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. 
And Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would just lead and guide. Help us to see what we don't see, but open our hearts that we all would receive from you, our God. We thank you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We as believers are bombarded by cliches. Cliches that take, um, at times, portions of Scripture and Scripture that is taken out of context in order to put it on a shirt, on a plaque, maybe on a coffee mug. And, and sometimes these um, sayings are corny because they are, again, taken out of context. But recently, I've come across a coffee mug, right, because I have a lot of those also, right, with um, a lot of sayings. Right? But this one has a saying that really reflects a lot of times the thought that I have in my in my mind as I'm talking with somebody or witnessing a group of people, and it would be this one, right? Y'all need Jesus. <laughs> right? Have you ever been in a mixed group of people and you hear their conversation, and all of a sudden in your heart, um, what, you, what you're saying is, what you really need is Jesus. Or you might be at work and you hear the back and forth of some colleagues and the answer is, y'all need Jesus, right? Um, but as much as this saying applies to our current relationships that sometimes we have, and, and I think for most of us, we would have the saying for our family members who don't believe in Jesus, right? And in other words, to, to answer the problems and the struggles that our family members go through, y'all need Jesus. But that would be the same statement that would apply to the children of Israel. We've been going through this study, and the study encapsulates going through all the minor prophets. And then in the last three weeks, we're in the second week right now, where we're taking a break of the minor prophets, and we're really putting the prophets in context to the events that were happening in the life of Israel and Judah. Last week, we saw what happened to the northern um, country as the nation was ripped apart and two nations were created. The north is Israel, also known as Ephraim, and the south known as Judah. Ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. But because Jeroboam was full of fear and didn't trust what God would do, he will allow the northern country to be taken into exile. 
And here's what scripture would remind us. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sins. And the people of Israel walked in all the sin that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel from his sight. As he has spoken by all the servants, the prophets, so Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. 2 Kings 17. Right, so those are the events that happen in Assyria, led by this brutal king, Sennacherib. Right, his name would represent to that whole region, right, he would use the title king of the universe. Right, and as they were taken into exile, it didn't happen right away, right? It happened after 14 kings sat on that throne. Every king in the north was evil. Not so in the south, in Judah. As much as we had evil kings leading in the south, we also had good kings. And every time we saw the good kings fighting and believing in the God of Israel, we saw amazing things happen in the life of Judah. And one of these kings is Hezekiah. Right? And, and the reason why Hezekiah is important is because after the northern kingdom got conquered, the king of the Assyrian immediately put his sights on Judah. He said, I'm not stopping here. I'm going all the way. And then you have King Hezekiah grabbing Isaiah, the prophet. And the thing that they do is that they repent, they pray, and they seek God. And God, in turn, delivers them rescues them, right? And, and sometimes we don't know, right? Because our Bibles are not written or laid out chronologically, right? And, and sometimes we are aware in certain about certain scriptures, and, but they really, a lot of times, are a response in reference to what happened in the life of either Israel or Judah, and there's a psalm that you and I read quite often, and it's Psalm 46. Right? It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at the swelling. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her in the morning dawn. Nations rage and kingdoms totter. 
He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And all of God's people said, amen. That psalm was a response of God's deliverance. Right? So it's important to put those pieces together. Right? Hezekiah saw what happened to the north. And listening to the prophet, he surrendered to what the prophet was conveying. So he repented. And as the king, he led the nation in repentance. And all of a sudden, God, according to scripture, sent his angel. The king was in the southern western part of the nation. He had overtaken one of these little fortresses in Lalish, right? One of the places where our group will be visiting in the next few days. Right? And God, and when he delivers, he just does it in amazing ways. He had over 200,000 soldiers with him. By the time God was done, 185,000 died. To the point that the king just went running home. And then when he got home, his own servants killed him. Right? Deliverance. But here's the problem. Right? Not every king was a good king like Hezekiah. Hezekiah went and tore down the statues of worship, the places of worship, the astropoles. But then you would get another king there, and all of a sudden he would be an evil king, and he would lead the people astray. But the God of the universe met the God above. Right? The one who would say, I am the king of the universe. Meet the God who's over all of that. And he was victorious. But as we see Judah decline, right? We see that in Jeremiah 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it. And find rest for your soul. But they say, we will not walk in it. I will set my watchman over you, saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Right? Over and over again, God would send warnings. God would say, walk in my ways. Trust in me. Leave that life behind. And little by little, they just declined and declined and declined, being led astray. Then Jeremiah 
steps onto the scene, right? He was called at a very young age. He was hated by most of the kings in place because of the prophecies, the very words that God gave him to bring. He was threatened, right, by his own hometown, He had to deal with false prophets, right? Because the king is going to be looking for the prophets to bolster him up, to support his ideas. Jeremiah would come and he would unravel his entire plan over and over again. He would see his own colleagues, his his partners that were called by God slaughtered. Truth is, he was abused throughout most of his ministry. He would be known as the weeping prophet. But just because he was weeping does not mean he was weak. Right? It's, he, he had and was driven by the commitment that God put upon his heart. But he also knew the very suffering that he was going to experience, but the suffering the people were going to experience. Hear these words. And this comes from Jeremiah himself, you know, knowing that he was called into this ministry. And and you know when you're called to do something and you dread it? You go, I don't want to do that. Right? This is what you hear at the heart of Jeremiah. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. May it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. The son is born to you, making him glad. Let that man be like the city that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear the cry of the morning and the alarm at noon because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out of the womb to see the toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Right? That's his ministry. That's the heart of Jeremiah. The difference is he did not run away like Jonah. Right? He stayed. He was committed to the mission God called him to. And for some of us, some of us are called to a specific ministry, a ministry that's difficult, a ministry where you feel as if, who who am I reaching, right? Be encouraged God's with you. Be encouraged that God sees you. Be encouraged that God knows the wretch in your heart as, as it's twisting and tearing because you feel as if you're wasting your time. Know that God knows. Right? But then we need to kind of look at, right? So what is it that Judah, when they, when they go astray, when they're led astray, what is it? Like, what's their sin? Right? 
For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Would you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Now go to my place that was in Shiloh, that's the first place that he destroyed, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord. And when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called to you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight as I cast all of your kinsmen, all of the offering of Ephraim. Jeremiah 7, verses 5 through 15. Right, so when you wonder why God is behaving and acting the way he is, is because he sends prophet after prophet after prophet. And they, in turn, don't listen. In turn, they're a picture of us when we don't listen. When we don't yield the warning. And as much as we can say, y'all need Jesus, guess what? We need Jesus. We need God to intervene in our lives. Israel needed God to intervene in their life. Because here's the thing. Even though they had a good king for a season, that king eventually would die. And the thing we need is a king that would live forever. So again, last week we saw the fall of the north and how they were led astray. And today we are looking at Judah. At the very end, as they are in the brink of being sacked. The fall of Jerusalem. Right? Imagine the very place where God said, I will make my presence known. 
the people of Judah felt as if they had a God that was tethered. And because he chose to reside there, what could happen to us? What can happen to us? A lot of things if we choose not to follow God. All right, so let us look at these words. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, and in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his armies came against Judah and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Right, so just know Babylon was just gaining power. Right? They would be to the south of the Assyrians. And if you go a little further south is where God called Abraham from Ur. Right? So if you're looking at your place on the map. So the Assyrians would travel north, go across the crescent, which is above Damascus, and then come down the trade route because that is where it would be flat plains. It's not mountainous during that. It's the same place that the king from Assyria originally attacked and tried to attack um, Judah. So they came, they conquered all the little villages and cities making their way to Jerusalem. They say it's about two years of this breach. and In other words, they surrounded the entire city. Nothing went in, nothing came out. There was no food, no water, because they even found a way to block off Hezekiah's tunnel that he made to bring water into the city. They say the people of Judah did detestable things to each other, things that I'm just not going to talk about this morning. But you can read that in Jeremiah. They were starving, right? Like think, what do people do when they're starving, right? They do horrible things to each other, right? And, and the king of Babylon just said, just wait them out. So they were attacking one side of the walls persistently. Eventually, they break through. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Nagal Ezer of Samgar, Nabusar, Sekim, the Rapsir, Nagal Ezer, the Ragma, and all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. So all of the princesses of the king of Babylon came and sat, and by sitting, they're showing their victory. And as they sat there, just hordes of the army just came in and poured into Jerusalem. Now remember, the city is set up that... There's a city inside the walls, but then the temple itself is protected by its own walls. So it took time for them to conquer the temple. 
But then after a period of time, when Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by the way of the king's garden, through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. Right? So they made their way down the tunnel, and historians say that they came out by the Pool of Shalom, and they exited one of those gates. That's important because that would be the same gate that Jesus would be led back through when he's arrested. Right? You got to make those connections. Right? So he thinks he's getting away. He is like, you know what? We need to regroup and, and put our best minds together and, and try to regain control here. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah, in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. And the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah and put out the the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. Right? So they captured him. But here's the thing you got to know, right? God captured him. God wanted to make sure he did not get away. God is using the Babylonians to execute justice. They would take him, after being captured, they would take him to Ribla. Ribla is about 20 miles north of Damascus, which is where the king set up his camp of operations. There would be a trial there. You got to remember that a couple years earlier, the king of Babylon said, surrender, and I would spare your life. And Zedekiah said, nope, I'm going to do things my way. Right? Over and over again, God is providing a way for grace and mercy. And over and over again, he refused. Right? And sometimes that's us. God is trying to intervene, trying to do things in our lives, and we go, I got it. I got it. And at that moment, I need that little saying, you all need Jesus. You need Jesus. Imagine for a moment that the very last thing Zedekiah sees is his sons being slaughtered. That would be the last impression he would have of the last visible sign of sight. His sons, the noblemen, all of them being slaughtered, while the king then will pluck out his eyes. And again, that was just a sign of power over Zedekiah. They would chain him like an animal and lead him away. The Chaldeans burned the king's house 
and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city. Those who had deserted to him and the people who remained. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Right, so they are executing the orders. They are removing the people, taking them into exile. But then in the midst of this horror, you see the grace of God being poured out on those who are the less fortunate. Right? These are people that King Zedekiah should have been taken care of, but he didn't take care of. So here are these foreigners taking care of them. Right? You, you, you got to just see the picture here. Right? The poorest of poorest people, they are now being given fields. They will be able to provide for themselves. They are being taken care of just as much as Jeremiah is going to be taken care of. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, take him, look after him well, and do not harm him but deal with him as he tells you. Imagine, the king would hear some news about Jeremiah, this prophet, and he would tell the captain of the guard, take him, take care of him, don't harm him. As a matter of fact, what he tells you, follow. Right? Right? In the midst of destruction, chaos, God pours out his grace and mercy. But you got to look for it, right? Because sometimes it doesn't stand out. Sometimes we can look at a gift from God and go, is that it? Right? Is is that all you're going to give me after all that I lost? Right? But it's to know that God is in the middle of this pain and suffering. And know, right, that God is acting out of love. God is acting because he made a covenant with the people of Israel, and regardless whether they kept the covenant, he was saying, I'm going to keep my end of the covenant deal, even if it hurts you. So, Nabu. Zerdan, the captain of the guard, Nabu Serban, the rabbis, Nagal Sarir, the rabbinag, and all the chief officers of the king of Babylon sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the guard. They entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Hakim, son of Shepham, that he should take him home. So he lived among the people. Right, you can see God's hand in the life of Jeremiah. 
Eventually, he would go into exile into Egypt. And even there, he would have a difficult time because he would continue to prophesy. He would prophesy right to the very end of his life. But all of this is because God has a plan. Remember, the northern country was taken into exile. Many years later, now the southern part of the nation falls into exile. Babylon is a powerful nation. And 70 years later, the Persians and Medes will conquer the Babylonians. And while there, they will send them back. Right? And that's where we pick up the stories of Daniel, right? That's with the Babylonians. But then we have Esther, and that would be with you know, the Persians and Medes. Right? The problem is, like I said earlier, our Bibles are not chronological. So we've got to kind of figure out, well, where does this fit in the timeline? Or they're not linear in reference to when they were written. Right? And, and what parts were written. Right? So we have to study, and sometimes people say, you know what, I really don't like history, right? but if we don't learn from history, we are going to repeat it again. And all of this is happening because of the love of God. Just know, right, when we... Don't submit to God's plan. It breaks God's heart. Just like our children when they don't listen to us. And we need to correct them. There's a part of that that hurts us. It's a part that just, we say, why don't they get it? Right? But guess what? As I did with my children, my parents did with me. Why don't, what doesn't he get it? And the same happened with their parents, my grandparents, right? And guess what we end up with? We all need Jesus, <laughs> right? At the end of the day, that's what we need. Because all of this is happening so that we would remind, be reminded that there's going to be a remnant that's going to be brought back. And God's going to do a new thing. But that new thing isn't the end of itself, right? The new thing is so that Jesus would have a way in to the story. And Jesus would break down all the barriers, all the things that get in the way of our relationship with him. And he does all of that because he loves you. He loves you, right? The Israelites and, and those in Judah, all of that happens because God's love. It's not as if he says, you know what? I'm going to deal with another set of people because these individuals, I, I can't deal with them. He doesn't abandon them. But he commits even more. And sometimes it hurts. 
Sometimes it hurts. And all of that brings us to this table because it shows us all that he gave for each and every one of us so that we would have this amazing relationship, not only with Jesus, but ultimately our God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these words in Jeremiah. Words that remind us that we are just in the middle of the story. Lord, when we, as people, go through the season of Lent, we are reminded over and over again that Lent is about repentance. Lent is about seeking forgiveness. Lent is about taking a life and setting it on a new direction. And sometimes that new direction is only one or two degrees in order for us to be living in line with you, our God. So, Lord, help us. Help us now. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.